Amen. All right. Well, we're there in Leviticus chapter, <clears throat> Leviticus chapter number 17. And I'm glad you're back with us uh, for the Wednesday evening service back in the book of Leviticus. And it may seem, it's, all, it's funny, always after like a, a conference, you know, we have almost, you know, we have 350, almost 400 people in, in this building. And then you come back to a regular service and it seems empty. I, we have 118 people, I think, here tonight, which is a normal attendance for our Wednesday night service. But it seems, but it seems small to you, doesn't it? You know, because of that. So don't let that mess with your head, all right? We're doing well. Leviticus chapter 17. Uh, we're back in our Leviticus study here, and we're just studying uh, through the book of Leviticus. And there's several things in this passage that I want to bring to your attention. I've got about five different things I'd like to point out to you. The first one, if you notice there in, in verse 17, look at verse 1. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons and unto all the children of Israel, and say unto them, This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded, saying. Now, I want you to notice what the Bible says um, what, he's, what he's telling them in verse 3. It says, What man soever there be of the house of Israel that killeth an ox or lamb or goat, notice what he says, in the camp, or that killeth it out of the camp, and bringeth it not unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, to offer an offering unto the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, blood shall be imputed unto that man. He hath shed blood. And that man shall be cut off, meaning that they're supposed to separate from among his people. Notice verse 5. To the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in the open field, even that they may bring them unto the Lord for, uh, I'm sorry, unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, unto the priests, and offer them for peace offerings unto the Lord. We're going to Come back to verses 6, 7, and 8, but skip down to verse number 9 just real quickly, and notice what he says, and bringeth it not. In fact, look at verse 8, just to go to context. And thou shalt say unto them, Whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers which sojourneth among you, that offereth a burnt offering or sacrifice, notice verse 9, and bringeth it not unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation to offer it unto the Lord, even that man shall be cut off from among his people. Now, you may be wondering, well, what is it that God is teaching us here? Why is he making a big deal about, you know, he's telling him, if there's a man that killeth an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, or that killeth it out of the camp, but doesn't bring it. He, notice verse 4, and bringeth it not unto the, door, door, unto the door of the tabernacle. He says, cut that man off. And then he's just emphasizing this idea of bringing it not unto the door of the tabernacle. And you say, what is God trying to teach us? And there's a, there's a lesson for us here on, on structure and how God wants things to be done. And here's what you need to understand. Up to this point, up to the book of the, in, in the end of the book of Exodus, we saw them build, uh, get the instructions for and build the tabernacle. And here in the book of Leviticus, we've been learning, the book of Leviticus was supposed to be like a manual for the Levitical priests as to how to actually minister in the tabernacle. These people have never had a tabernacle. And this tabernacle is the house of God. You find that all throughout the Old Testament. The tabernacle is referred to as the house of God. Later on, it's, uh, it's replaced by the temple. Then the temple is referred to as the house of God. And God is giving them this. But here's what you need to understand. Up to this point, Good people were 
performing sacrifices, but they did not have a tabernacle to bring that sacrifice to. So, for example, we have Abel performing a sacrifice. We have Abraham. We have Isaac. We have Jacob. All of these men are performing sacrifices before the tabernacle. Some people believe Job uh, lived during the time of Abraham. And we, of course, read about his sacrifices that he did. So, before the tabernacle was established, you had believers who were performing sacrifices, and they were basically just doing it wherever. They would do it maybe where something special happened, where God revealed himself to them, and they would build altars, and they would do that. But now, God is changing that, and in this chapter, he's saying, look, if you kill an ox or a lamb or a goat, whether it's in the camp or out of the camp, he says, I want you to bring it to the door of the tabernacle. He says, that's how the sacrifices are going to be done from now on. And there's a change here to the procedure as to how God was having things done. And by the way, we and I'm not going to take the time to go to Hebrews because we've looked at it a lot already, but even in the New Testament, there was a change to the law. We no longer do those sacrifices anymore. And here's what I want you to understand. God is teaching here that he wants people to connect to his program. Before, they didn't have a tabernacle. Before, they didn't have a priesthood. But now he has a priesthood, and he says, before it was okay for you to just do a sacrifice out in the field, do a sacrifice out in your house, do whatever it is that you're doing, but now I want you to bring it to the house of the, uh, of the Lord. I want you to get connected with the program that I have. Now, uh, to keep your place there in Leviticus 17, that's obviously your text for tonight. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 in the New Testament. You got all those T-books clustered together. 1 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, Titus. 1 Timothy chapter 3. During the time of the Levitical priesthood, the tabernacle was the house of God. And then you have Solomon come in and he builds a temple, and then you have the temple be the house of God. But the question is this what's the house of God for New Testament believers? Because we have neither the tabernacle nor the temple. What is the house of God today? Well, the Bible define, the Bible tells us that in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15. I'd like you to look at what the Bible says. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 says this. But if I tarry long, but if I tarry long, notice what he says, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Did you know that there's a certain way you're supposed to behave in the house of God? You know that there's a certain way that God expects you to act, a certain things that God expects you to do, certain rules that God has given us. And he says, look, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. And you say, well, what is the house of God for New Testament believers? Because is it the tabernacle? Is it the temple? None of those things are around today. Then he says this, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And here's what I understand. The agenda for, for Bible-believing Christians today as New Testament believers, let me tell you what it is. It's the local New Testament church. So you say, you know, back then people would say, well, for years we were just doing sacrifices out in the field and we were doing sacrifices out in, 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 in and we didn't have to bring it to the tabernacle. But now there's a tabernacle and God says, I want you to get connected with what I'm doing. He said, I want you to bring it to my house. And you know what? Today we have people who think it's okay to just kind of worship God and do whatever outside of the local New Testament church. Let me tell you something. That is not of God. God doesn't want you to just say, well, I'm just going to have a Bible study in my living room. 
Can I just sacrifice to God in my living room? No, you're supposed to bring it to the house of God. You're supposed to get connected to the house of God. Today, you've got people that say, well, I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't go to church. I just listen to preaching online. I just get, catch a live stream or I'll watch a YouTube video. Hey, that's all great as a supplement, but it not not be the replacement of the house of God. God wants you to get connected. Here he's telling people, these are good people. They're performing sacrifices. They're bringing them to God. They're, uh, they're doing these things. But he says, no, I no longer want you to do it just off by yourself, off wherever. Now there's a central point. Now there's a meeting place. Now there's a priest. Now there's a high priest. Now there's rules and regulations. And he said, I want you to get connected with what I'm doing. And you know what? As New Testament believers, we need to just get connected with the local New Testament church. And people need to just get connected with local New Testament church. And I'm sick and tired of listening to people complain about, well, the church in my area. If you can't find a church in your area that you can get connected to, then just move. And if you're not willing to move, then just find a church you get connected in. Because God wants you, listen to me, God does not want us setting the agenda. God wants us to get connected with his agenda. And here we learn that there's this transitional period. Where they're going from, they weren't a nation really before. They were just a a, a nation of of slaves. And now they're out in the wilderness and they're out on their own. And God establishes this tabernacle and he's trying to explain to them, hey, get connected to my program. I don't want you just out there doing whatever, being whatever. I'm glad you're sacrificing, but he says, I want you to bring it to the house of God. There's a lesson here. Not only does God want us to get connected to his program, but you know what else? God wants us to conform to his program. Before they were doing the sacrifices. Who's doing the sacrifice now? The priest. Before they were making the options. Who's giving them the options now? The word of God. The first seven chapters, we talked about the different sacrifices that were to bring and the different rules and regular. I don't I don't believe Abraham had that. I don't think Noah had that. I don't think Isaac had all these rules. They were just doing what they thought was right. But now God is telling them, not only do I want you to get connected to my program, I want you to conform to my program. And listen to me at Verity Baptist Church. Let me just make something real clear. You come here and you get conformed to our program. We don't get conformed to your program. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because we are aligning this church to the word of God. We are emphasizing what God has emphasized. And, you know, I get sick and tired of people coming here all the time trying to get us to get conformed to their their program. You know, just over the years, I've had people, people will come here all the time. And they're like, you preach hard against abortions, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, abortions are terrible. You, you don't, you're not for the abortion holocaust, are you? And I'm saying, I'm not for it at all. You've got all these soul winners, don't you? Yeah, we've got, God has blessed us with all these soul winners. Can you rally all your soul winners so we can go picket some abortion clinic? No. Well, aren't you against abortions? I am against abortions. Well, why don't you want to picket the clinic? Show me where the Bible says I'm supposed to go picket an abortion clinic. Amen. So show me the Bible where I'm supposed to go, stand with signs somewhere, and waste my time. Look, it's a waste of time. These signs, you know, we got this guy out here on, on Northgate that does the sign. I was, I was laughing because I think he finally figured it out because I drove by the sign one day, and it was just, like, tied to a post. And I think he realized, like, this post can do as good of a job as I'm doing. I'm just holding a sign. Hey, you know what? God called us to preach the gospel. God called us to go out and knock doors and get people saved. You want to know the agenda of every Baptist church? Let me tell you. It's the Great Commission. And people are like, can you get conformed to my program? I've got this whole anti-abortion. We're going to go pick at the clinic. I'm not interested. 
Say, well, what are you going to do? I, we're just going to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're just going to preach hard against abortions. We're just going to teach young ladies to not go in the bedroom until they're married, and maybe they won't get pregnant, and maybe they won't have a need to go get an abortion. How about that? And people will come to this church, and they're like, we want to get, we, we need your platform. No, you know, go build your own platform. We want to get you connected to, no, no, no. You come here and you get connected to us. People want us to get connected with their picketing abortion clinics. And look, I'm all against, I'm abortion clinics. I'm against it. If one gets bombed, I'm going to get up on Sunday and say, I'm not sad about it. <laughs> you know? And I pray, you know, that whatever. Those people are murderers. They deserve to die. But, but, you, but I'm not going to go bomb one either. And I'm not going to go pick at one either. People try to get us to get all consumed with this changing the government, rising up against the government. You say, Pastor Man, do you believe you live in a wicked uh, government? Uh, yeah, I do. You think this government is wicked and filthy? Yeah, I do. You want to raise up arms to fight the government with us? No, I don't. Say what? Uh, maybe because the Bible says that our weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Amen. Maybe because the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Maybe because the Bible says that we're not supposed to try to fight people physically, that our battle is a spiritual warfare. Well, aren't you against this wicked government? I'm against the wicked government. You want to raise up arms? No! Because like, I wish you got more excited about anti-government. I wish you got more excited about soul winning. I wish you got more excited about doing and emphasizing what God emphasizes. I have people trying to do Pastor Jimenez, you need to make this video to boycott Target. Are you going to boycott Target? Are you going to get on board, you know, because they got this transgender? No, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to preach against the filthy faggots. I'm just going to preach against these perverted transgender idiots. And then I'm just going to go to Target because it's a shorter line than Walmart. How about that? I'm just going to get up and preach hard against sin. I'm just going to emphasize what God emphasizes and not waste my time with the rest. And look, you shouldn't have this idea like, oh, we got to try to conform things to my agenda. No, you get conformed to what God says. And the emphasis in this Bible is preaching hard and preaching the gospel. So guess what you get at Verity Baptist Church? Hard preaching and gospel preaching. Here God is saying, like, look, you used to do it this way, but now get on my agenda. Now get on my program. Now conform to what I want you to do. So here we see that this passage speaks about structure. This passage also speaks about separation. You say, well, what's the big deal? Why does it matter if you sacrifice over there or if you sacrifice over here? Why do we have to bring it to the tabernacle? Well, the answer is in verse 7. Notice what it says. Leviticus 17 and verse 7. The Bible says, And they shall no more offer their sacrifices unto devils. See, the problem is that the children of Israel were not the only ones sacrificing out in the fields. There was also these heathen who were sacrificing and making sacrifices unto devils. And God is saying, God is saying this, we're gonna, you're going to stop sacrificing, you're going to bring it to the tabernacle, and then anyone who sacrifices in the field, just realize that they're sacrificing to devils. And, and you know, you'll put a stop to that. He says, they shall no more offer their sacrifices unto the devil after whom they have gone a whoring. They shall be a statue forever unto them throughout their generations. Skip down to verse number 10. Notice what he says. Verse number 10. And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn among you. Notice what it says. That eateth any manner of blood. And he's making connections here. He's saying the people that sacrifice to devils are the same people that eat blood. Look, eating blood 
is not of God. <laughs> you know, eating blood is not good. Notice what he says. I will even set my face against the soul that eateth blood and will cut him off from among his people. Please understand, we're not talking about your steak's a little red, okay? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who are drinking blood, you know, human blood or animal blood. Just mark it down. That's devilish. That's of God. And by the way, that's why we don't dress up our kids like vampires and put red paint all over their face you know, oh, it's funny. God doesn't think it's funny. God says, hey, don't offer sacrifices to the devil. You say, what are you talking about, God? He says, don't eat any matter of blood. I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood and will cut him off from among their, uh, his people. Notice verse 12. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, notice what he says, no soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourneth among you eat blood. Blood. Notice verse 13. That whatsoever man there be of the children of Israel or of the stranger that sojourneth among you, which hunteth and catcheth any beast of the fowl that uh, may be eaten. He says, you're, you're allowed to eat those animals. He shall even, notice, pour out the blood thereof and cover it with dust. And it, uh, it is the life of the flesh. The blood is the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, ye shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh. For the life of all the flesh is the blood. Therefore, whosoever eateth it shall be cut off. Now, keep your place there in Leviticus 17. Go to, go to the book of Acts real quickly. Acts chapter number 15. When you get to Acts, keep your place there. Because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back in that direction. Go to Acts chapter number 15. And let's talk about this commandment of not drinking blood. You know, Is that something that we're supposed to follow as New Testament believers? Is that something that we should be dogmatic about? And I just want to show you a couple of passages that talk about it in the Bible. And I will, I will say this, you know, I, don't, I, I joke around sometimes, and I probably should stop because people get offended. I don't think God is talking about, like, I like my steak, you know, medium, all right? I don't think that's what he's referring to here. When he's talking about eating blood and drinking blood, I think he's talking about the fact, and look, there are cultures today that eat blood, that drink blood, and that have blood as part of their, uh, as part of their diet. And uh, let's look at just one, one passage in, in the book of Acts, and we'll look at another one. Acts, Acts 15. Now, in Acts 15, you have people bringing in heresy into the church, and they came in. And this is usually referred to as the, the Council of Jerusalem, where they all met and decided what they should do about it. We're going to skip all of that for sake of time, but look, look at verse 23 just real quickly. It says, Acts 15, 23, and they wrote letters by them after this matter. So once they decided what they were going to do, they, they wrote letters the apostles and elders and brethren send greetings unto the brethren, which are the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. In a couple of weeks, we're going to start, on, on Sunday nights, we're going to start a series called How to Study Your Bible. And when we do that, I'll, I'll just give you a, a, a preview of that. You want to be careful when you're studying the Bible that you understand the difference between a statement and a story. Because here we're reading a story. This is what the church, the, 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 the first century church, what they actually did. That's different than God under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost telling us what to do. So we can learn from the stories. We can make application. They can serve as examples and examples. But you want to be careful about you know, taking a story and then saying, Thus saith the Lord. And by the way, that's, that's why you want to be careful about getting a lot of doctrine from parables and things like that. But we'll, we'll talk about that in, in a few weeks. But notice what the Bible says. Uh, look at verse 28. 
For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. So this is what they decided. So we can't really say this is what God says. This is just what they said. But they gave a list. Now here's what the, what the list says. That ye abstain from meats offered to idols. So they, so they told them, because the people before were telling them, you got to get circumcised to even be saved. And they said, no, no, that's not true. They said, salvation is by grace through faith. But here's what we are asking of you. They're saying, here's what we want you to do if you're going to be connected. Basically, they're saying, this is our church, you know, membership requirements. If you're going to be part of our church, if you're going to be part of this movement, here's what we are asking of you. That's why I don't feel bad asking people to do certain, you know, to not do certain things or whatever. I mean, especially the Bible. The Bible says to not company with fornicators, so we have a rule. You can't be a fornicator and be part of our church, you know. And, and, but here we see an example of this where these people basically came up with these rules. That's what it say. That you may abstain um, from meats offered to idols. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Not just based on the story, but based on Scripture. Does the Bible say that we should not, uh, that we should abstain uh, from meats offered to idols? Keep, keep your place there. Go to Revelation just real quickly. Revelation chapter 2. And there's other examples we go to. I'll just take you to one quickly. Revelation chapter 2. And when you get to Revelation chapter 2, you're going to see a chapter. If you have a red letter edition Bible, these, these, this chapter is mostly in red. And here's why. These are the words of Christ. Okay? So now we move from a story to a statement, right? Because now Jesus himself is going to tell us something. Notice what he says. Revelation 2.14. He's speaking to the church in Smyrna. But I have a few things against thee, because thou is there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. Notice what he says. To eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. All right? So according to Jesus, should we eat things sacrificed unto idols? The answer is no. And should we commit fornication? The answer is no. Look at verse 20. In verse 20, he's talking to the church in Thyatira. He says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. So again, does Jesus want us to eat things sacrificed unto idols? Does Jesus want us to commit fornication? All right, go back to Acts 15. Notice what the Bible says. Verse 29. This is what they said. They said that ye abstain from meats offered to idols. But could we agree with that? I would agree with that, and here's why, because that's what Jesus said. Because we have a clear statement in Scripture that says you should not, you should not eat, uh, abstain from meats offered to idols. Then they said this, and from blood. So that's the question, right? Is that just them being overzealous, or is that something that the New Testament teaches that we as New Testament believers should teach? Then he says this, and from things strangled. Now, that one, I couldn't find anywhere in the Bible. I, I, I mean, I'm not saying it's not there. I just couldn't find it. If, if somebody could find it, I'd love to see it. But I, I couldn't find a law forbidding eating things that are strangled. I mean, it's kind of weird, you know. I wouldn't really want to strangle the goat before I ate it or whatever. But I couldn't find a clear commandment that taught that. And then it says this, and from fornication. Is that bad? Well, Jesus himself said, you know, to not fornicate. There's many clear statements in Scripture about fornication, uh, from which if you keep yourselves, you shall do well, fare you well. So here's the thing. You know, do we just throw all of this out because they added some things that we can't really see in Scripture? You know, I, I think God is just showing us here that sometimes people are right and people are wrong. 
Sometimes they do good things and they take good stands like abstaining from meats offered to idols, from, uh, you know, abstaining from fornication. And then in their zeal, they may take it a little far and say, and don't eat anything strangled either, you know. And I don't know, maybe, maybe they strangled animals as a part of, uh, you know, devil worship. I, I don't know. But we don't really find that in Scripture. Go, go to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter number 9. I would say this, though, that drinking blood is not, is, is not something that we as New Testament believers should probably be doing. And, uh, and again, I'm not talking about, you know, your steak's pink, okay? I'm talking about, you know, blood tacos or, you know, weird things where people are drinking blood or, or you know, whatever, just weird stuff like that. And here's, here's the main reason that I would say that. Go to Genesis chapter 9. In Genesis chapter 9, you have... Uh, Noah coming off the ark, the flood has taken place, and this is pre-law, this is pre-Levitical law, and in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1, the Bible says this, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fish of the sea, into your hands are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. So he's saying you can eat whatever you'd like because this is, again, before the Mosaic Law. Once the Mosaic Law is in place, that same is no longer true. They're not just allowed to eat whatever they want. But up to this point, he says, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. Notice verse 4. But, but flesh... With the life thereof. So he says, you're allowed to eat flesh, but don't eat the flesh with the life thereof. You say, well, what is that? Well, notice what he says. Which is the blood thereof shall ye not eat. So I would probably say eating blood is not something God wants us to do because of the fact that he brought it up even before the Mosaic law. Same reason why people say like, oh, we don't have to tithe anymore because the Mosaic law has been done away with. But wait a minute, people were tithing before Moses. Abraham and Jacob both tithed before the Mosaic law, before the Levitical priesthood. So if it was done before the Mosaic law, can you really say it's been abolished with the Mosaic law? He said to Noah, you can eat whatever you want, but don't eat the flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. So, you know, in case anybody was wondering... Don't drink blood, all right? That's weird. And again, we're not talking about, you, you know, just how you cook your meat. We're talking about drinking blood. Or, and there are cultures, I mean, I don't think in America anybody really does that, and, you know, just weird psycho people, but there are cultures where people drink blood, where they eat blood. So these things need to be preached in those cultures. Let me read for you uh, just one verse. First Thessalonians 5.22 says, Abstain from all appearance of evil. See, because you could say, well, I've always just sacrificed animals out in the field. I'm doing it, you know, to God. I don't want to have to go all the way to the tabernacle. I don't like this new rule. Doesn't it, you know, isn't it fine for me to just do it? But here's what you understand. Methods do matter. It's not just about the motives of your heart. You can't just say, well, my motives were right. No, God wants your motives to be right and your methods to be right. And here's the thing. He wants his children to be a peculiar people. He wants them to be different. So he says, hey, they're sacrificing in the field. You have a tabernacle now. You bring that into the tabernacle because I want you to abstain from the appearance of evil. You say, well, I'm not doing evil. But he says, I don't even want it to look like you're doing evil. 
I don't want somebody to walk by and see you sacrificing in the field and think, I wonder if that guy is a devil worshiper or a Baal worshiper or a Satan worshiper. And look, as Christians, we need to worry about not abstaining from the appearance of evil. You know, sometimes my wife and I will go to a restaurant on a, uh, on our date, on a date night or something, and they'll say to us, you know, it's going to be like a 30-minute wait, but we can bring you, you can, would you like to eat at the bar? And the answer is no. And it's like, well, why, Pastor Jimenez? Are you worried that you're going to be tempted? I'm not worried that I'm going to be tempted any, uh, to drink any alcohol. You, alcohol is disgusting, all right? Just number one. And it's not cool. You know, I'm sick and tired of these old people thinking it's cool to drink. No one thinks it's cool. You wouldn't have thought it was cool when you were young, you know, watching you drink and act like a fool, all right? But you say, well, why would you go to the, why won't you go to the bar? Just because I want to abstain from the appearance of evil. Just because I don't want somebody to walk by and be like, oh, I saw a pastor at the bar, you know? We go to restaurants and they put that wine, you know, cups in front of us and they put that wine bottle. I just ask the waitress or whatever, hey, take, can you take this away? And I'm not rude about it. All right? You know, but hey, would you mind taking this away? Why? Because I, I, don't, I don't want it to look like I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. You know, I don't drive in vehicles with women that I'm, you know, the only women I drive with in vehicles are is either my wife or someone I'm related to. You know, I'll drive with my mom or with my sister. And of course, I'll drive with a lady in the vehicle if my wife's there or, or my, you know, my mom's there, you know. But I don't just drive... I don't just drive with women in, in my car. You say, that's a little, I just want to abstain from the appearance of evil. Amen. I don't want somebody to see me driving on the road with some woman I'm not married to and be like, I wonder what pastor's into. You know, you say, well, pastor, if you saw me stranded on the side of the road, you know, would you stop and help? I'd stop and help you change the tire, but I'm not going to get in the car with you. I might call Uber, you know, I might call you a Lyft. I might, you know, whatever, but I'm not going to get in the, you say, why? Why? Is that a little strict? You know what? It matters. How things look. And some of you need to figure out that it's not just enough what you're doing, but what does it look like you're doing? You say, well, why can't you just drink that apple cider out of that, uh, out of that wine glass? Because if you take a picture of that and put it on Facebook like all of you love to do, you know, someone's going to be like, is pastor drinking wine? Unless you're going to put a tag saying it's apple cider, right, which I doubt you're going to. So here's the point. The Bible says abstain from all appearance of evil. So let's be careful. You know, when you're just out and about, what do things look like that you're doing? Does it look, does it look like, you say, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. But, but could somebody say that it looks like you're up to something that's not good? God, if God said it, we need to just apply it to our lives. If he said abstain from the appearance of evil, then he wants us to abstain from the appearance of evil. He doesn't even want us to look like we're doing something wrong. So we saw how this passage speaks to structure, and then we saw how it speaks to separation. Because he's saying, I don't want you to look like the Baal worshippers. I want you to come to the house of God, and I want you to do it there. But notice number three tonight. Go back to Leviticus uh, 17. And, and you're there in Genesis 9-4, and I just want you to notice that it says, But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. Go back to Leviticus 17. We saw that this passage speaks to structure, and we saw that this passage speaks to separation. But here's what's interesting. This, this passage also teaches about science. Notice Leviticus 17, 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for your souls. Look at verse 14. For it is the life of all the flesh. 
The blood of it is for the life thereof. Therefore, I said unto the children of Israel, ye shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Therefore, whosoever eateth it shall be cut off. And it's interesting because, you know, today you say, well, isn't that common sense? But, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of years, people did not know this. In fact, I, I hear this often, so I was just uh, Googling it just to, to verify it. But, you know, George Washington, who, you know, the first president of the United States fought the Revolutionary War, he was sick, and they basically put leeches on him. The doctors did, which were, they were called leeches, by the way, back then. And um, his doctors took about 80 ounces of blood over 12 hours, which is about 40% of an adult's blood volume. Because back then, they used to think, like, if you were sick, there's something wrong with your blood. And he had this real bad inflammation in his neck that wasn't allowing him to breathe. And they thought that the blood is what causes the inflammation. So if we remove the blood, it'll make the inflammation go down. And they literally just bled him to death. And, you know, George Washington was supposedly a Christian and a Mason and whatever. I don't know. But, you know, he had a Bible sitting right next to him there. You know, I'm sure he had a Bible somewhere in his house. He had a Bible sitting uh, in his nightstand next to his bed as they're bleeding him to death. And the Bible, somebody would just open it to Leviticus 17. They would have read, hey, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And, and it's interesting how God is just ahead of science all of the time. And God is always, you know, the Bible tells us that there's a, there's a way where light dwelleth, telling us that light travels. And, you know, science caught up to that and figured, out, figured that out. The Bible tells us that there's a circuit to the wind, and we now know that to be true. The Bible tells us that there are passages in the sea, and we now know that to be true, that there are ways that the ocean runs. All of these things are in the Bible. Let me tell you something. The Bible is a scientific book. Amen. The law of the Lord is perfect, and you can learn it has everything we need to know. And here, again, for years, all these doctors did not realize it. And the Bible was telling us, and God was telling the children of Israel, life's in the blood. Life's in the blood. It's what keeps you healthy, and it's what circulates the oxygen, and it's what does all these things. So we saw, number one, that this chapter speaks about structure. And we saw that it speaks about separation. We saw that it even speaks about science. Let me give you uh, the fourth one. We see here that it speaks about salvation. Go back to Leviticus chapter number uh, 17, look at verse 11. Notice what it says. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make, notice what he says, to make, he says, I've given it to you, given what to you? The blood. Upon the altar, why? To make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh atonement for your souls. And here back in Leviticus, God is teaching us that the way that your sins are atoned, the way that your soul is atoned for, it's through the blood. Let's just run some verses real quickly just to show you that from Scripture. I know you're familiar with it, but let's look at it together. Uh, go to Romans chapter number 3. If you kept your place in Acts, you just got the next book over is Romans. Romans chapter number 3 and verse 25. Romans chapter number 3 and verse 25. Romans 3.25. Romans 3.25 says this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans 3.25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith. Notice these three words. In his blood. It's interesting because he tells us whom God, talking about Jesus, has set forth. God set forth Jesus to be a propitiation through faith. And then you see that word in there. What is, and you're saying, have faith in what? 
And it says, faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Look at chapter 5 and verse 9. Same, same book. Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. Notice what the Bible says. Romans 5, 9. Much more than being now justified. How are we justified? How do you and I get justified? We are justified through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Go to Ephesians. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. I, I read the wrong verse. I, I told you to go to Romans 5, 9, right? Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. So here we're told that we're justified by His blood. In Romans 3, 25, we're told that, uh, that we are to have faith in His blood. Go to Ephesians 1, 17. That's the verse I just read, but let's look at it. Ephesians 1, 17. So you're there in Romans, 1, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 17. Notice what the Bible says, Ephesians 1.17, Ephesians 1.17 says this, In whom we have redemption, in whom we have redemption through His blood. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His glory. So how do we have redemption? Through His blood. Go to Ephesians 2, verse 13. Ephesians 2 Verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh. How we made nigh? We were afar off. Now we're made nigh. How? By the blood of Christ. We're brought close. Our sins are taken away. They're atoned. And we can do it. Why? By the blood of Christ. Go to Colossians chapter 1. You're there in Ephesians. You're going to go past Philippians into the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 14. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 14. Colossians 1.14. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 1.14. In whom we have redemption. How? Through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1 and verse 20. Notice what he says. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. And having made peace, how? Through the blood of His cross. By Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And here's the point that I want you to understand. It's real clear in Scripture that our salvation is done. It's, it's our atonement. Our souls are saved because of the blood of Christ. And the blood of Christ speaks of sacrifice. It speaks of death. And here's what I don't understand. How people could walk away from the Bible and think that you could be saved any other way than just through the atonement of Christ. Look, here's, I mean, it, it just makes no sense to say, oh no, you have to live a good life. Oh no, you have to keep the commandments. Oh no, you have to get baptized. You have to repent of your sins. You have to live a good life. You, 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 you don't have it forever. You only keep it if you, if you walk in His ways. Look, if there was any way that you and I could just earn it, could just live good enough to get it, then why would Jesus die? I mean, isn't that stupid? That, that God would send down His Son to be a sacrifice for our sins when, when He didn't have to? We could have just, you know, lived a good enough life to get it. Keep the Ten Commandments, high-five each other, and we're good to go. He's going to let us in. Look, he sent Jesus to die because that's the only way that you and I could be saved. And you're not saved by any other way other than through the blood of Christ. So this chapter is just emphasizing for us, just the, you know, emphasizing the fact that the blood is important not just for your physical self, but spiritually. Look, if the blood of Christ is not what is washed away your sins, you're not going to get to heaven. You're not going to make it. 
And it's not that you're not going to make it because you aren't good enough, because none of us are good enough. You're not going to make it because the only way that your soul can be atoned for is the blood. And here's the thing. When you realize, when you realize, wow, God in the flesh, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, became man. God was manifest in the flesh. He came to this earth, and he literally died. I mean, he died and he shed his precious blood for one reason, that we might be saved, that we might have forgiveness of sin, that we might draw nigh to him, that we could have our sins forgiven, that we could be atoned. I mean, we looked at all the verses. He did all of that, and then we want to sit there and waste our time with all this other stupid garbage? We want to sit there and, well, it's all about politics, or it's all about sports, or it's all about money. No, it's not one thing. It's about the blood. That's why we're here. That's why we're saved. That's what it's all about. Say, you want to know what Pastor Jimenez is about? Here's what Pastor Jimenez is about. The blood of Jesus Christ. Because that's all that matters. Say, well, we got to stop Trump. I don't care about Trump. If he's not a reprobate, he needs to get saved. Say, well, we got it. It's all about, you know, this and that. It's about none of that. It's about Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's what it's always been about. That's all it's ever been about. And you can't read this Bible and tell me otherwise. You can't tell me that this Bible is about being rich or making money or living in a nice house or getting into politics or any of that. It's all about one thing, the blood of Christ. You read Leviticus, blood of Christ. You read Ephesians, the blood of Christ. You read Romans, the blood of Christ. You read, go wherever you want. You know what you see? Jesus. The whole time. Because that's what it's all about. Say, so what is Verity Baptist about? Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, if I haven't been clear tonight, let it be clear to those who would like to change our church and change our focus. We got one focus. It's the word of God and it's the blood of Christ. And they need to get on board with our agenda because we're not changing. And Lord, I just pray you'd help everyone to get on board with that agenda. Anybody who's here who's not a soul winner, Lord, help them to get committed to soul winning. Because that's the only thing that this life's worth doing. There's nothing in this life that's worth more than preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. And we just want to give our lives to that. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins, shedding your precious blood, and help us not to waste our time with stupid navel gazing. And help us, Lord, to just give ourselves to the ministry of reconciliation to reaching people with the gospel, discipling them with the word. And you know what? If we reach people with the gospel, maybe the culture will change. But if it doesn't, then the most important thing we've done is that we've preached the gospel, that we've warned this community. We love you, Lord. Thank you for salvation. Help us to always keep our mind clear as to what the main thing is and what the important things are. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.